Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Want to know about D-Day? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna tell Ruth's story. Okay. <laughs> he has a great story to tell about his life. He was the loudest kid I ever knew in my life. I would love to see some foxholes. Right. All the roads are sunken roads. Some are more sunken than others. Dear heart, I have I have great feeling for you and what you're doing. Appreciate what you're doing. And I want you to totally see the area, touch the sand, and see the tide. There's almost 15,000 Americans still in Bombardier. We owe it to them to go back and visit their graves. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 391. Out now in the US on digital is Sunken Roads, Three Generations After D-Day, a documentary that follows filmmaker Charlotte Jurgens, who in 2014 embarked on a pilgrimage with D-Day veterans as they retraced their route from WW2 on the 70th anniversary of the invasion a beautifully crafted and emotional documentary that reminds why they are called the greatest generation. Sunken Roads, three generations after D-Days, also marks the directorial debut of Charlotte Jurgens, who joins me now on the podcast. Charlotte, I thank you so very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be able to talk with you. Absolutely. For everyone out there to know, as I mentioned before, the movie is available through digital. The best way to go about finding which services um, has the movie um, available right now, go to sunkenroads.com slash events, and it's got all the links there. Um, There's a bunch of different places. It's got it um, for limited um, times for even longer times. So make sure you check out this documentary now because it's really 
it really is, uh, as I said in my introduction, Charlotte, it really is a, a beautiful uh, documentary. And um, what's really interesting about it is that the inspiration of it was it was your great grandfather, Pat, wasn't it? Wasn't he who kind of like inspired um, this kind of journey to begin with in the first place? What was it about his story? What was it about him uh, as a man and as a, as a serviceman who really kind of, you know, spoke to you in this way to really kind of take that big leap and to create not only your first documentary, but one that's so um, intimate to you? Thank you for that question. Yeah, I mean, me, so my great-grandfather, Pat, passed away shortly before I was born, so I never had the chance to meet him. But I did have this amazing way to feel connected to his story, which was that my mother, right before he died, did an interview with him on his deathbed, an audio recorded interview. And he had never really wanted to talk about the war before then. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess he realized that was his last chance to talk about it. And he really opened up and not just about the war, about his childhood, about, you know, his inner life and, and everything. And he was from Texas and had a really kind of amazing gravelly voice. Um, He actually worked in radio. So his voice is just fantastic. So growing up, I never met him, but I had heard these recordings and felt so drawn to the person behind that voice. Um, And so I started with this project when I was a sophomore in college, my second year in college. Um, And I had started studying World War II history and became very interested in oral histories and personal histories. And with the 70th anniversary of D-Day approaching, knowing that my great-grandfather Pat had landed on D-Day, I immediately felt drawn towards a project that would allow me to try to get to know his story a little bit better and to get to know him indirectly by spending time with the people who had shared his world. First off, before I go to my next question, I have to say that thank you so much for mentioning his voice because that's the something that really struck me when I first heard him. Like he pretty much introduces the film. He's the first voice that we yeah. hear in the movie. Mm-hmm. And that voice really does like, I was like, wow, that's just something else altogether. Um, that voice there. <laughs> and the recording's quite good as well, actually. Um, yeah, you know, no, you know, my mom did an incredible job. <laughs> really fantastic work there. And, and like that voice, I mean, that's something you can like, you can hear all day as well. I think you can definitely tell that he's had experience in radio and such, just the, the clarity and the richness of it. It's just, it's just fantastic. Um, so when it comes to the first steps that you had to do, of course, you wanted to talk to veterans of, of D-Day and, and get them, uh, you know, on camera or on tape to talk about their experiences. And this kind of leads you to, to get like, I, I don't know if you call it a position, perhaps more of an, an opportunity to chaperone um, a couple of um, D-Day veterans, doesn't it, uh, through the, um, through um, uh, to France um, from America yeah. um, in, for the 70th anniversary. Um at this time of your life, you are 20 years old. Have you been outside the U.S. Um, by this time? I had. I've been fortunate to travel quite a bit growing up, um, but I had never been to Normandy before. It was an interesting experience. Basically, my initial thought actually wasn't to interview veterans. It was to interview French people who had survived the war in okay. all the various areas where my grandfather had fought. So. I was doing a lot of calls at the time to French nursing homes and French uh, 
clubs and societies that I thought might be access points to the kind of people I was hoping to interview. And everyone, everywhere I called kept saying, you know, we're going to be really busy during that time because this group of American veterans is going to be coming through. And so eventually I thought to myself, well, who is this group of American veterans? Maybe I should be talking to them. And that's when I found out that these veterans were from my great grandfather's same military division and it felt very serendipitous, but, you know, understandably the division was kind of protective of them and their time at first, because these guys are in their nineties and it's an exhausting schedule and adding on more interviews is a lot for them. Right. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I kept kind of pestering them gently <laughs> and, uh, they kept on saying, well, you know, we'll let you know if anything changes, but for now it's not going to work for you to interview them. Then meanwhile, this veteran named Don, who later became the main character of the film and a dear friend of mine, um, he was 90 years old with pretty severe Parkinson's. And he was planning on, before going to Normandy, touring through the areas where they had trained in England. Mm -hmm. And his family said, okay, but as long as you have somebody traveling with you because of the Parkinson's. And he said, yeah, yeah, I've got somebody. When push came to shove and they asked him who it was, the person who he had planned to travel with him was his cousin, Bill, who was even older with even worse Parkinson's. <laughs> and they realized they had to get somebody like anybody to be their traveling companion and kind of health aid. Um, and meanwhile, I had been calling the 29th division a few times a week for weeks. So I was in the right place at the right time and they needed somebody and they knew that I was there. And uh, that's how this opportunity happened. That kind of changed the rest of my life. And it is an incredible opportunity. I mean, just to be able to be with people like Don and Bill and with Hal and Arden and other, other veterans as well. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when you are talking to these men, and you're listening to their stories. You yourself are 20 years old uh, at that time. Don was 20 when he landed on D-Day. Um, mm-hmm. And these stories that they're telling you, life and death, these are the stakes essentially, the life and death at, at, that, at that time in the war. And, and you're stomping on the very ground, you're walking on the very ground that they fought on. Um, how does that impact you at that time as a, a 20-year-old uh, American talking to veterans who were your age when they were fighting in World War II? It, it just felt extremely emotionally immediate. Um, it was barely even a leap at all to imagine myself in their shoes because, you know, I'm standing with them on Omaha Beach at the exact same age that they were when they were going through these things. And it is... I guess it was just a very visceral realization that even for a war that has the best cause you could ask for, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The cost of war is still the same, the physical and emotional lifelong cost. Um, And, you know, realizing that these some of these guys 70 years later were still struggling with intense survivor's guilt, um, intense PTSD and nightmares. Thinking about going through that for 70 years is just harrowing. Um, 
And because we also became very close friends, I think that they, they told me these stories in a way that's different from the way that they would normally tell them in an interview context. I mean, in some ways, I remember Don saying that when we were all hanging out together, he felt like a 20 year old, he felt like a teenager basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that it it all just felt um, extremely emotionally real to me. Um, And I felt very honored to, to, to kind of be there with my camera at the moment when they wanted to open up, it was, it was kind of similar to with my mother and her grandfather, you know, like some of them hadn't wanted to talk about the details of what D-Day felt like on an emotional level before. But in that context, they knew they probably wouldn't be able to make it over there again. And they suddenly wanted to talk and it was an honor, but it also was extremely disturbing um, mm. and extremely emotional. I mean, some of the stories that, I mean, I think Hal had a couple of stories there, especially in regards to the invasion itself and um, yeah. being on that boat. And mm. essentially what he was describing, he said himself was what was depicted for people who want to put a, like a visual kind of to it, um, is those opening scenes of Saving Private Ryan. It's like he's pretty mm. much describing that exact kind of almost kind of scenario there um it it is an interesting thing that bill said um early on in the film which is that you know it's he wants this whole kind of experience to be honoring soldiers but not particularly honoring the idea of war because bill himself was a was or was a pacifist wasn't he was that before the war or afterwards i'm not sure but um it's an interesting thing yeah yeah yeah. it's it's an interesting take isn't it because that's what you want to do you do want to honor the soldiers without honoring the idea of war because Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be a very kind of murky ground between the two can't they absolutely yeah i mean and and you know him saying that to me very early on in the trip and reiterating it throughout the trip yeah meant that i you know watching these uh, very heartfelt ceremonies that were um, that were hosted by French towns in honor of these veterans was simultaneously moving to see this kind of immense demonstration of care. Mm. Um, but also I could never feel 100% comfortable because I would look at Bill and see him kind of, I would see the concern on his face just when it comes to this question of like, is this feeding into present day nationalism? Is this feeding into this like mythology of American exceptionalism or, you know, things like that? Yeah, because, you know, it could be, you could have been in another situation, another lifetime, perhaps talking to Vietnam veterans, okay, they could have a Mm. totally different perspective and the with the war there. I mean, it's just, it's such a, it's such a remarkable thing just to, how it all kind of came together for you. Um, and, you know, what's really interesting about this movie is the concept of historical memory that you talk about mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, and I just wanted to delve into that a little more with you because these men are telling you their stories and mm-hmm. from their stories comes to life, you know, history, you know, it comes up in our mind. We're not there, but we're trying our very best to kind of like, you know, put ourselves in that position by the words that these men have. Um, when it came to the concept of historical memory for you as a filmmaker, how did you want to kind of portray that? How did you want to depict that um, in your film? Well, so when I was um, 
in the early stages of making this film, I had started to focus on historical memory as my kind of academic focus in undergrad. And right now I'm currently pursuing my PhD and also focusing on historical memory. So I really appreciate you mentioning that. It's something I care about a lot. And I think that for me, um, I was much less interested in making a film about World War II than a film about how World War II lives on in the memory of people who experienced it firsthand mm -hmm. and how that memory can be transmitted to others and what happens in that transmission, right? Like, so for some of these veterans, there are memories that have been haunting them for decades that speaking them aloud is a way of kind of working through that and um and dealing with that for for a lot of the people in normandy the french people who experienced the war throwing these commemorations is a way of processing their own memories of trauma and destruction um from that time and i mean you'll see there's a there's a character in the film named suzette who's a french woman who survived d-day as a small girl in a pretty traumatic way um but for her and Dawn, uh, processing the memory of what happened to them is extremely different than just revisiting the historical facts of uh, what transpired during the invasion. It's about kind of peeling back layers of meaning that have been kind of accrued over the years. Mm -hmm. And um figuring out to what degree you can really talk about that and what talking about it means. So that I think is the, the film is about World War II a little bit, but I think it's much more about memory and also about age um, and friendship. So, yeah. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show.
the other thing that's really interesting in regards to history is history in a cultural aspect. So mm-hmm. you are traveling through with with, with Don and, and Arden and everyone else at that time for the 70th anniversary um, um, of commemorations for D-Day. And you are going to places that are still very much alive with the history of that time. There are remnants of that time. There's still military, you know, weaponry that's been rusted and, and left in fields. There's still foxholes that that no one knows. Are still, there's these sunken roads. It's, it's alluding to your um, um, your the title of your film that are still there mm-hmm. that these men have walked on. And the people in these in these countries, in these villages, they still very much live with that and, and that's still fresh in their memory. Mm-hmm. I remember there's a moment in the film, I think you were talking to Arden and you're asking him about whether in America the memory of what the soldiers went through is still fresh over there, especially with the younger generation. I, I imagine he's speaking more towards your generation yeah. than anything else. Yeah. And it's not really there anymore because they don't live like your generation. And even to a certain concept, I'm 40, my generation as well don't really yeah. live with it because we're so far removed from it. Do you mm-hmm. are you hoping that this movie, even though it's not a movie about World War II, will hopefully bring to light some information? Um, some degree of um, of uh, the sense of history and also the personal impact that it had on this generation of men to your generation and generations after you and before you as well? Yes, absolutely. I mean, to me, I think that one of the things that kind of gets lost in uh, the way that World War II history is told in the U.S. right now um, is the the rhetoric of the greatest generation, mm-hmm. while that is, I think, a very, you know, well-intentioned and respectful and reverent acknowledgement of the sacrifice that they made, it accidentally has the effect of making them seem kind of emotionally unreachable. Right. Um, and setting them up on this pedestal that is, um, I think, for people in my generation who might never have met met these men at all, um, these men and women at all, um, and might never have the opportunity to kind of supplement that rhetoric with like personal connections. It's, it just makes you feel like, okay, well, they're the greatest generation. There's no living up to that. And, uh, (laughs) you know, they just seem like they almost seem like monuments rather than people. And what I'm hoping that sunken roads can do is, kind of supplement that rhetoric by allowing people who otherwise will never have a chance to meet these people um, to feel like they've met them and to feel like they've known them. Because I know that for me, even though I never got to meet my great grandfather, becoming friends with Don and Arden and Hal and Bill was a way to feel as if I had known my grand my great grandfather mm-hmm. and i hope that for other people in my generation spending some time with these characters while watching the film will allow them to feel like they also can have a personal connection to that moment in history and um yeah i mean kind of along that same line i think that uh and another kind of incidental aspect of the film being told in kind of a first person perspective um from from my own perspective when i was 20 is that it also allows a lot of young women who uh, 
might not normally be interested in military history to feel a sense of personal connection to that moment and to engage as well, which I found really exciting. I want to talk about the craft of the movie. I I love the editing of the film. Um, so the editing was done by Mark Jurgens, and he did a really terrific job here. I'm sure you've had countless amounts of footage um, and also just the way that you also kind of sliced in kind of like the archive footage and also the more like the inf- information like parts of the film like the mm-hmm. like the more kind of factoids of, of the war and what um, infantries what uh, divisions etc I thought it was, it was all really well done and pieced together what was the editing process like for for this movie um the editing process was incredibly fun it was just so fun and I think that some of the joy of that process comes through in the film um and, you know, I just a couple of days ago, I went to see the film in theaters with the editor and it was so fun to sit together. And, you know, for me, all these scenes that no longer are in the final cut are also, you know, very looming large in my mind. But it was so fun to watch it together and to really feel like even though I'm attached to those other scenes, this is the movie it wanted to be and the pacing feels right. And um, I think that there is just a real uh, privilege in having a team that you can trust implicitly. And that was definitely the case with the editor in terms of just, I mean, it very, very much a collaborative process, but having a baseline of extreme trust and respect. Um, and uh, th- there's also the fact that Mark Jurgens happens to be my father. Mm. So it was, it was wonderful to be able to work with my dad on this. And um, I hope we'll have a chance to work together again soon. I also love the music of this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's moments in this film that to me almost speak kind of like almost like poetry, you know, just in the way that the, the music's used. And you, your job as a, as a narrator, I really do think that you, you've inherited your great-grandfather's uh, skill as an orator. You did a really great job there as a narrator. I mean, it came across really clear. Sometimes you could watch these movies and the um, narration could be a little choppy. I think in your case, it just flowed really well. And it really flowed well with the music. I found there's a there's a there's a tone to your voice in the music as well that's really kind of subtle but effective. Um, the mm. music by Jordan Plotner and Mark Sewell. So how did that all kind of come together? Because I'm sure the first time you've heard the compositions for this movie, it would have just really uh, blew your mind away. Because I absolutely love it. Yeah, I I love the music, and I think both of the composers did an extraordinary job. So Jordan. Um, was a fellow student with me in undergrad when we started working on this together. So I think I approached Jordan about the project in my junior year, my third year, and Jordan was the year below me. So um, he was probably 20 when he wrote most of the music for Sunken Roads. And his grandfather had been involved in drawing up the maps for D-Day. Hmm. So he also very much felt a personal connection to it. And, you know, we talked a lot early on about, you know, while we both really appreciate Saving Private Ryan, wanting to have a score that really goes in the opposite direction, um, having a score that is minimal and, you know, relies on like little xylophones and humming and um, these very, very intimate kind of small (laughs) orchestrations. Um, And 
I think that he just really ran with that and did a tremendous job. Um, and he assembled a really great library of music so that with almost most of like almost all the film, we were able to edit to his music rather than editing to temp. So I really feel like his music created the heartbeat of the film. And then Mark Suazo came on a little bit later when um, Jordan became unavailable to kind of continue full time because he had other responsibilities at that point. And um, I think Mark Suazo also did a tremendous job of kind of really understanding what we wanted to go for with the music. And um, it's it's so seamless what he wrote and what Jordan wrote. I feel like it just works so beautifully together. I feel really, really proud to have been involved in a project with this music. This project is immensely personal for you and other people involved in the film as well, especially so for, I imagine, the children of Hal Arden and Don. Um, Don's kids actually in the film as well. They were with him over there um, in uh, Normandy and and across France to to be with him and and to commemorate the 7th anniversary with him. Um, You know, Hal Arden and Don were were very much um, 90 or close to 90 by the time you were filming and, and since passed on since then, God bless them, and... I just really want to know what type of reaction have you had from any of family members of, of Don's or Arden's or House? Have you had, have they had a chance to to watch the film yet? Have you had any feedback in regards yes. to that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm really glad to say that all of them have been really supportive of it. I We weren't able to show a cut of it to Hal in time before he passed away, unfortunately, but I'm glad to say we did. We were able to share the film with both Don and Arden. Who oh, awesome. Yeah, they both found it very emotional, but also kind of fun because, you know, the experience of watching it with them, they're immediately digressing and talking about like this thing or that thing that we did that's (laughs) that they're remembering that isn't necessarily in the film. It's really fun. And um, particularly so Don and Arden's children have been just and grandchildren have been incredibly wonderful and welcoming and supportive. And it just means absolutely the world to me, the degree to which they have kind of, um, you know, opened their, their family to me. And in a, in a, in a way that I never could have expected and never would have asked for, um, Don's family chose to show sunken roads at his memorial service when he passed away. And Mm. that will always be the most meaningful screening to me that we, that we've ever had. Um, and yeah, I mean, to me, it felt like the the degree to which they trusted me with their stories was an extraordinary honor. And it felt like the only way to respond to that was really with a lifelong commitment for me of, you know, friendship and care for them while they were around and then continuing to um, remain in touch and remain um you know, uh, for family members in whatever way I can be. Um, and that has been a really huge privilege. Yeah. I mean, this movie is, is more than that, isn't it? I mean, for yourself and for everyone involved, this is a, a life-changing experience. I'm sure that mm-hmm. seven years on from um, having filmed this, being out, out there in, in for the 70th anniversary um, uh, with, uh, with Don and everyone else, to until mm-hmm. now, um, I'd imagine that this has changed you just uh, quite, 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 quite a bit over the years, hasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I think that um, 
you know, now as a doctoral student um, focusing on American studies, my approach for all my future projects has been shaped by the lessons that I learned while shooting this film. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, um, with, um, I guess, bringing a level of, of sensitivity when dealing with stories of trauma Mm-hmm. Um, and with, uh, being willing to just kind of go where a project takes you, even if you really don't know what that is at first, <laughs> um, and, and all of that, but I mean, just on a more emotional level, I mean, I just remember when I first started shooting the film, I definitely felt like kind of a grown up child but more closer to a child. I mean, I was a college student and had never really lived on my own before outside of a college context, you know, and sometimes I even felt like I was pretending to be a filmmaker rather than being a real filmmaker. And by Mm -hmm. the end of shooting it, I felt like an adult. Um, And so it was an incredibly important time for me. And I, you know, I think about it all the time and I'm just so glad that, uh, that Don and Bill needed somebody to hang out with them <laughs> and uh, that that made all of this possible. Well, it's a incredibly, it's a beautiful film, beautifully crafted. It's, a, it's an emotional movie. Um, very well done. Um, I can't praise it enough. And for everyone out there listening, Sunken Roads, three generations after D-Day, available now. Um, if you go to sunkenroads.com slash events, you'll find all the links for different virtual screens available at the moment. Um, and I recommend that people will check out this film um, right away because it's a remarkable film. It really is, Charlotte. You did a really great job here. The fact that this was your first feature film, that you were 20 years old when you made it and you were able to, you know, just really roll with the punches a lot of times. So I think there's a lot of, there was a lot of crossroads for you both as a filmmaker, as a person during the making of this film. And you really the choices that you made really showed a maturity on your behalf as a filmmaker and a person. And you made a, a terrific movie here. I'm so glad to have watched it and to have talked to you about it today. I thank you for that. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, I'll just add that if folks go to sunkenroads.com and then they go to the contact page, there's a you can sign up for our newsletter and I'll be sure to keep you posted there about future releases on um uh, streaming and on DVD and stuff like that. And let me know too if any news comes up. I'll be happy to share it on my socials and my, my website. Oh, as wonderful. Well. Thank you so much. That sounds great.